Hey everybody, this is Lucas from Coastal Vineyard. Just wanted to say thank you for downloading this podcast or maybe picking up a CD after service. We love you and we are praying for you. We believe that your best days are yet to come. So expect the best. We hope that this message inspires you and moves your faith into action. So sit back and enjoy. Um, if you remember last week, I started off with a story and I told the story about grandpa falling asleep on the couch and the grandson's putting some cheese underneath his nose and grandpa waking up only to say, man, this couch stinks. Oh man, this kitchen stinks. Oh man, the whole world stinks. And not realizing that he had this thing under his nose. And this week we're, we're, me and Devin are talking and I'm going through the house and I'm just smelling something. I'm like, man, something just smells terrible in this house. And Devin is just well, maybe you've got some cheese under your nose because I don't smell a thing. And uh, I was like, okay, it came back to bite me on that one. Thanks. Appreciate that. I guess you were listening to the message this week. So, um, but we're going to continue on with talking about just this idea of um, deception. Uh, the thing about deception is if you are deceived, you don't know it because you're Decepted, decepted, you know, it's the, it's the nature of the thing. Um, so this morning, I want to continue talking about that, but this morning, I want to talk when our faith works against us. When our faith works against us. And I know some of you right now are thinking, how is that even possible? Uh, we'll get there. So please, Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. Book of Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. I'm going to read out of the New King James this morning. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that, it would, that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him and from heavens. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So here we find Saul. Saul, the same Saul that would later on we will know as Paul. Same guy, the same guy that we will find writing a good majority of the New Testament. And he has found himself murdering, imprisoning, and doing everything he can to capture Christians. Now, Christians wouldn't be called Christians in those days. In those times, they would be called followers of the way. So if you were a follower of the way, that means you believed in Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. You're believing the message that was preached by him and now also by his apostles. And the word is going out. The church is starting to spread. And now there are those that are rising up against it. They're trying to smash down everything that Jesus has done. Now, for a minute, let's take a look at this particular portion of scripture and kind of for a second, analyze the fact or, or step out of the fact of knowing we know the outcome of this man, Saul. We know that he will later go on to be an amazing, an amazing man for the gospel and all of the things that he will do. But at this moment, he is still Saul. At this moment, 
he's not just one that's persecuting the church. He is a man of faith. He has called, he is called the Pharisees of Pharisees. And remember, in those days, in that context, this wouldn't be something that would have a negative connotation of, oh man, if you're a, a Pharisee now, oh, that's, 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 uh, that's language for a hypocrite. But if you were a Pharisee or a Sadducee, something like, that means you were someone inside of leadership, inside of the synagogues, inside of the temples. You were those that you knew the Bible inside and out. Paul would have been a very, very smart man. He would have studied. He would have known the word of God. He would have been doing everything that he is doing for what? For the faith. He was going out and he was, he was arresting these followers, these Christians, for what? For his faith. Because he believed what he was doing, he was doing for God. He believed that all of this that he was taking on was part of his faith. He was trying so hard to keep true to his scriptures and what he would know as, what we would know as the Old Testament. So Paul's doing this. He's persecuting the church. He's the Pharisees of Pharisees. Now, also, look what he does. He goes to the high priest. I'm not, now, this is the high priest he's going to to get these letters, to have these letters for permission to arrest these Christians to bring them back. So it's not just Paul, but it's the institution itself of those that were teaching the Old Testament, those that were teaching the law, and this is the high priest. This is the man. This would be the equivalent to if, if, it was, if we were in Catholicism, this would be the Pope. This would be the one that everyone is looking to, and he goes to them to get the very permission to arrest these followers of the way, because after all, what they're doing is not right. They are going against our faith. So he's doing everything he's doing for faith, for God. He goes to the high priest. He's going to the synagogues. He's going to the temple. He's doing these things all for his faith when all of a sudden there's this moment when Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, Jesus says this, why are you persecuting me? And to which at this point, if you are Paul, you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm doing all, the, all this that I can for God. I'm doing all this for my faith because I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees. I know this, the word inside and out. I'm doing this for the faith. And Jesus shows up and says, why are you persecuting me? Have you ever tried so hard to do something right only to get it terribly wrong? Paul is trying his best to do something so right only he has gone terribly wrong. We can look back through our, throughout Christian history and we can see times um, that we tried to do things right, only to have done it terribly wrong. We can look at the Crusades. We were out there, we were killing Muslims. We were out there killing even other Christians, all for what? For the sake of the faith, for the sake of God. We look back and we say, man, that was obviously wrong. But at the time, we were doing it for our faith, for the ways of God. We terribly missed it. Um, Seven years ago, I think it was, seven years ago, I'm still dating my wife, and I think we're getting ready to uh, get married, and I hadn't met her mother yet, and I knew Mother's Day was coming, and so I'm like, I'm going to make a good impression, I'm going to get her mother a cool Mother's Day gift, I'm, and you know, what do you get mothers? 
the Rocky collection or something like that. You know, who, who wouldn't love that? Um, but I kind of knew that wasn't the route to go. And so I'm at work, and there's this lady selling Avon, and they're, all the girls are talking about this Avon stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's a girly thing. Let's get some Avon. And so there's this perfume, and hey, oh, it's great. So, okay, give me that perfume. It's, you know, thirty. Two ninety nine or something, and I get the perfume, and I give it to her mom, and I'm so excited, and, you know, I'm good future son-in-law, and she, you know, she's happy she gets it, and then we get married, and then the next time I see her, I'm kind of like, I don't smell the oceans by the seashore, or whatever it was, and by this time, her mom's gotten a little bit more comfortable, and she's like, yeah, that's for the older ladies, or, you know, apparently this was, like, the worst scent possible on the planet. Like, I would rather smell like engine oil than the Avon perfume. And so if you sell Avon in here, I'm sorry, just get a new scent or something. But I do this, and I tried everything to make it so right, but I went so wrong. Paul is trying to do something so right, he's gone so wrong. If today, if Jesus was to show up, is there anything that we're trying so hard to do so right that maybe we've gone so wrong? Could it be possibly maybe one thing, for instance, our denominations? Could it be, see, here's the thing about denominations. Every denomination, no matter which one, no matter whether it's Methodist, uh, Catholic, Baptist, Episcopalian, um, Lutheran, it doesn't matter. All denominations are built on one common thread, and that is this. They are all built on a disagreement. They are all built on we disagree with this and we disagree on that, and so this is what sets us apart and makes us different. And we bicker and we fight among ourselves all the time, missing the true message of the gospel. And so the question is, are we reliving anything that's already taken place? And I would submit to you, yes, that this is the exact same thing that was happening in Jesus' day. See, in Jesus' day, they had their own type of denominations. They were called the Pharisees. And they were called the Sadducees. And see, what made you a Pharisee or a Sadducee was this. There was the quite different doctrine and theology of whether or not there is the resurrection of the dead. And so the Pharisees believed, yes, there is a resurrection of the dead. Sadducees, no, there is no resurrection of the dead. And so there is this fight within the faith, and there's this already this segregation that's taking place. And what does Jesus do? Jesus comes on the scene, and he looks out at people, and he says, listen, don't be like this. And yet, where do we find ourselves today? Like that. See, often we find ourselves not as followers of Christ, but we find ourselves in our identity in the fact that we are Baptist or Methodist or Catholic. And we forget all along that we're supposed to be following Christ. And so it's led us down this road, this road of pride that says we have it all together. We understand and we know better than you and we have these doctrinal statements in ABCD and you have yours ABCD and we are right and you are wrong. And everything has totally lost Jesus in the process. Um, here at church, uh, we have a website and 
the podcast and all that good stuff. And there's this program that goes with the podcast that it'll tell me how many times each uh, podcast is downloaded, what sermons are downloaded, what time. I mean, it just all types of statistics and all these things. And I was looking, and the two uh, most downloaded podcasts that we have, uh, one was whenever I spoke on the topic of spiritual depression, the number one downloaded podcast. Spiritual depression. The second most downloaded podcast was uh, the sermon I did on everything is spiritual. And I got to be got to thinking. I was like, well, what made these sermons better than others? So I, I began to listen, and I listened to the spiritual depression one, and I got to thinking, it's, it's not really a good sermon. It was actually a pretty terrible one. It was kind of subpar. It was just okay. And see, why, why would this be the most popular one we got? Well, come to find out, you know, people put in the iTunes store, and they just put in their search engine, and whatever search they put in pops up, and mine pops up under this thing with spiritual depression. So what does that tell me? Well, it tells me that there's a lot of spiritually depressed people out there that are looking for something. It doesn't matter that the sermon wasn't any good, but it keeps getting downloaded. And then the other one was this, everything is spiritual. Um, and come to find out, there's another pastor that preached the exact same topic, everything is spiritual. And I think when people searched, they were looking for him, but they found me. And so by chance, they got all mixed up. But uh, I kind of lets me know that there's a lot of depressed people that are longing for spiritual things. Not necessarily even Christian things, just spiritual things. See, there's a, lot of, there's a whole group out there that, that are very much into, let's talk about spiritual things, but not necessarily Christ. Um, longing for it. There's this, I think that there's this overwhelming kind of hole in a lot of people's hearts. Even a lot of amazing, wonderful followers of Christ that if they were really honest with themselves, they would say, man, I'm really still just kind of depressed. I was really still longing for something to fill this hole. And it just got me thinking that we can walk the walk, we could talk the talk, we can live as everything is just fine, and on the inside be empty. On the inside be hurting. And we can become blinded by our faith. And we begin to see things not as they are, but as the way that we wish they would be. And I think now we find ourselves so segregated as a Christian community that now even the world itself is crying out and looking for answers, looking for the truth, looking for these things. And they don't care where they get it. They're just saying there's something wrong and we we need we need someone to tell us what it is. And honestly, sadly, uh, uh, as a Christian community, we should have those answers, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and I know I've used this before, but I was listening to the song this week, and it's, it's an Aerosmith tune, an old Aerosmith tune, and uh, there's this part in the song that just gets me every time, and he says, there's something wrong with the world today, I don't know what it is. There's something wrong with our eyes. We're seeing things in a different way, and God knows it ain't his. And this sure isn't any surprise. We're living on the edge. 
And here's, here's someone saying, man, there's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with our eyes. And see, in this portion of Scripture in Acts chapter 9, Saul, which would later become Paul, has this moment with God where God knocks him down. And God says, well, why are you persecuting me? Your faith has blinded you. And later on, we see that it says this, and when someone goes to pray for Paul, it says, and there was something like scales that fell off his eyes. See, he was blinded all this time. He was blinded not just for these three days that we had this encounter, but the fact is he was blinded for his whole life. He was blinded into thinking that, man, that all, all, all you had to do to be a good follower, a good, uh, a good example of God is keep all of the laws. So much so that when the one who came that everyone had been waiting for and prophesying about, which was Jesus Christ, when he came, he couldn't see it. And not only could he not see it, but then he persecuted those who did believe. Could it be that we find ourselves more like Saul each and every day? Blinded sometimes by our faith. Blinded by the truth. Blinded by this modern day approach to Christ that sums up Christianity in a few catchphrases and a few slogans. It's a modern list of do's and don'ts. What's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And all the time, we could get so busy with church, we could be so busy with this Christian thing that we have nothing to do with God. And we're more depressed than ever. And we become blinded by our arrogance. We see God as we are instead of seeing God as he is. We begin to see God as we are instead of seeing God as he is. So in other words, this, if you're a Republican, God must be a Republican too. If you're a Democrat, well, God must be a Democrat too. If you're a Baptist or a Methodist or a Catholic, or if you go to the Vineyard or if you go to whatever other, well, God must be that exact same way too. He must believe the exact same way pastor believes. Or if you go to a white church, you'll find all kinds of pictures of white Jesus. If you go to a black church, you'll see all kinds of pictures of black Jesus. All along forgetting he wasn't white and he wasn't black. He was a Jew. And if you are angry, it won't be long till you see that you'll find that God is angry. And if you're sad, it won't be long till you see that God must be sad. And it won't be long till all of the things that you believe to be right, well, God must too. Does this remind you of anything? Maybe the Pharisees and the Sadducees of Jesus' day arguing about their belief in the resurrection of the dead. And here's the thing. Here's what's, here's what's key about this. The Pharisees were right. Yes, there is resurrection of the dead. And yet Jesus looks at them and says, not like these guys. So in other words, what's the matter if you're Baptist and you got it right? What's the matter if you're Methodist or non-denominational and you got it right? Because you've missed the whole point. You've missed Christ. We could, believe, we could be trying to do our best. We could try to get it right and yet still get it completely wrong. And Jesus shows up and says, why are you persecuting me? What if he was to say that to us this morning? Well, maybe like Paul, we could say, well, wait a minute. Uh, well, well who, who are you, Lord? 
I kind of find it funny that he would say that, who are you, Lord? In other words, there's this kind of, he knows who it is. Like, Lord, I know that you're Lord, but this is kind of uh-oh moment. Like, man, I really messed up. Everything that I've just spent all of this time doing and all of this effort work for, I've, I've gone to get letters. I've gone to, I've, I've spent my life devoted to all these scriptures. I've done this time and time again. I'm doing everything this for this faith. And now all of a sudden to realize, why are you person? Oh, I made a big mistake. See, there's this moment too in the Bible where, uh, I believe it's Joshua, where the children of Israel are, are fighting, and, and God basically shows up, and, and he, the first question he has for him is, well, are you on their side, or are you on our side? Was it Joshua? Am I getting it? Yeah. And I love the response. I'm on neither side. I'm on the side of the army of the Lord. And see, we are so often trying to, like, even within ourselves, pick sides, well, are you on our side? Do you believe like we believe? Or do, are you Baptist? Are you Methodist? Are you this? Are, are you Christian? Are you, and, and, and God shows up and he's like, I'm on my own side. You want to know what side to be on? I, I'm on my own. I'm not. Let, Jesus is not Republican. Jesus isn't a Republican. I know that's kind of a hard pill for some of you guys to swallow. And inside of you, you're kind of like, eh. But he's not Democrat either. And so now that I've offended everyone in the room, we're all equal opportunity offenders here. But there's this reality that he is on his own side. And I think we would all agree on that point, that there is no this and that, that it's Jesus. And so the question arises within us, well, then why do we continue in the same manner? Why do we live so segregated? Why do we continue on in this type of deception. And I think one of the answers to that is because there's this type of notion with inside of the church that says this, that says, well, it's all about my heart. And God knows my heart. Which is completely contrary to what the Word says. Um, imagine this, mothers. Imagine going uh, to your home and, and telling your children, hey, today you are going to clean your bedroom, and by the time I get home, I want that bedroom clean." You get home, and the bedroom is even more dirty. And to which you look at the kids and say, I told you to clean the bedroom. And little Johnny, little Susie looks up and says, well, Mom, you know my heart. I thought thought about cleaning it, prayed about cleaning it, even made a plan on how I was going to clean it, but just figured, Mom, you knew my heart. Get to it later. What would Mom do? Boy, girl, you better clean that room. But yet, as Christians, how often do we take that exact same attitude with God? God, you knew my heart. In Revelations, at the beginning, God gives these letters to these churches. There's seven different churches in which he writes seven different letters. And there's these letters, and they're all, they all have different things that God is talking to these churches about. But there's something in common about every letter that he writes to all of these seven churches. And that's the way they begin. And they begin with these words, to the, to the angel to the church of Laodicea, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, tell them this, I know your works. 
and nevertheless, I have this. In other words, this, I know what you've done. It doesn't say, I know your heart. It says, I know your works. God's looking at it and says, listen, I know that I've asked you to clean the room, and you haven't cleaned the room. And so there's this, there's this idea that, man, it's just all about the heart. Well, in Jeremiah, it says this, the heart is deceitful above all things. In other words, you don't even know your own heart. It's trying to deceive you. And so the best thing to do is just listen to God. (laughs) And if he says to do something, just to do it. I know your hearts. Faith without works is dead. And yet we've created this culture that says, well, all you have to do is just come to church and listen, and that's it. And what's happened, if we have created some of the dumbest smart people on the planet. You know what I'm talking about. Some of the dumbest smart people. I mean, degrees, 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 and, oh, man. But seriously? Like, some of the dumbest smart people. But yet we live as if we could just have this kind of heart concept of doing what Christ has asked us to do. What if I was to get up here this morning and instead of talking to you about this, what if today's sermon was, um, today, Mother's Day, um, I'm going to talk to all of you ladies about how to carry a baby for nine months, and I'm going to talk to you about how to give birth, and I'm going to tell you all of the things that you need to know in order to be a good mom, and to which, exactly, (laughs) is what you should do. You should laugh me off of this. Matter of fact, you should just get rocks and stone me because it would be ridiculous. It would be crazy to think. But yet, how often does this type of theorizing become a part of our everyday Christian walk? That we can learn all of the theories behind it. I can say, wait, but but listen, ladies, you don't understand. I read a book about it. I went to school, and and, and I did all these things, and I've talked to other mothers that have gone through it, so I could give you some really good advice. And here's the thing, then I could stand up here, and I could probably say a few things that make sense, all the time having no idea what I'm talking about. Faith without works is dead. You could come to church week after week. You could learn inside and out, but if you're not putting this faith into practice, You're becoming the dumbest smart person on the planet. Faith. uh, uh, James says this, you know, but some will say to you, I have faith. And others will say, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So in other words, this, like, if faith is a car, works is the gas. And the fact that my car is moving shows that there's gas in the tank. And sometimes I think we live as cars without having gas. In other words, we look real shiny on the outside, but we can't do what we were created to do because we've yet to put it into action. We've become hearers only and not doers and therefore deceiving ourselves. When we are hearers only and not doers of the word, the word tells us we deceive ourselves. And so we find ourselves like this car. We are all polished up, and we are a Ferrari, and we know our, our stuff inside and out. But yet what we don't realize is we are on empty, 
and we can go nowhere. And here's the truth of the matter. Is that a Christian that has some gas in the tank, you may end up looking like this car, but this car will beat that car every day of the week when it has gas in the tank. Faith without works is dead. Doing these things, it's not just looking the part. Not just looking the part. Not just looking like we're everything on the outside and lacking everything on the inside. Living as if there's much in the window but nothing in the room. And here's the illusion. The illusion is to everyone else, you are awesome. Man, you are the person that I want to be like. The illusion is, wow, man, this, this, is a, this is what it is to be a Christian, this guy right here. And all the time, they don't know that your needle is on E, and you're about two miles away from being stranded on the side of the road. Because your faith has not been accompanied by works, and it's about to leave you dead. The appearance of being full, but really, you're empty. Deception living with much in the window, but nothing in the room. Now, I think if James was here today, he would also say this, that there's this faith without works is dead, but he would also say this, works without faith is also dead. That you could get so busy, and you could get so busy just working that you leave God behind. That you could just be, oh, work, 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 and all the time all of these works that we do take no faith at all. Faith is, without, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is this driving force. It, it, it accompanies. When is the last time that you've had to have faith? No, I mean like literally had to have faith. See, we develop these lifestyles that say, man, it's, it's all about my works, about everything that I can do. If I can work real hard, then I can pay the bills. If I could do more, 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 then I'll be able to take care of all this. All the time we develop this thing that says faith is really not a factor until we get put into a place where we have to have faith, where God, only you could come in and do what you can do to get me out of this situation. And God says, that's exactly where I want to be. I want you to come to the end of you because that's where you will find me. But that is a very hard road to walk. See, that goes beyond just a sermon. That goes beyond just an ABC point. That goes into living this thing out every day. And God, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but Lord, you have to do something. I can't do it in my own strength. I can't work hard enough. I can't make enough money. I can't read enough books. I can't do all of these things to be a good Mom, a good husband, a good father, a good wife. God, I need you. I don't care if I have to look like the Taurus. I want you to fill my tank so that way I can go. I don't want to live with much in the window but nothing in the room. See, I can preach possibly the best sermon that you've ever heard. I could even speak with these tongues like angels and yet have nothing. 
I could understand all types of mysteries. I could take the scriptures and open up to you and maybe even wow you for a few moments and say, wow, I've never seen that in the scriptures before. And I could understand all these mysteries and all these knowledge, knowing the word inside and out, dazzle you and yet be void of any real knowledge. I could give everything I have away to the poor. I could give everything that I own. I could empty my bank accounts. I could, I could give the very shirt off of my back, free of all type of materialism and possessions, and yet still on the inside be greedy and faithless and miserable. I could give my body to take on persecution and ridicule and abuse, and yet still find myself bankrupt without love. I could see and have no vision. I could hear and have no knowledge. I could call myself Christian and have no Christ. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come on, be.